Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? A little bit warm? It's warm up here, I'll tell you. <laughs> so Corey ran off, um, so unfortunately you're stuck with me, even though I tried to get him to stay. And welcome. So if you're here, new here, welcome to our church. We'd love to have you stay with us. Uh, I'm Gary Ball. I'm a member of your elder team here at the church, if you don't know me. So hello. It's wonderful to see everyone's smiling faces this morning, and it's such a blessing that in our country we get to come to places of worship where we can freely gather together and, uh, in, in a public sense, worship God, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. But we can't take this for granted. <clears throat> and I say this because it seems like our government is becoming increasingly hostile to those that don't hold to a woke climate emergency CRT type of worldview. They especially like to, to persecute Christians. Not that this man was a Christian, but he held conservative views last week in Utah. I don't know if you heard the news, but a a man in his mid-70s, evidently reports say he was a little bit, little bit heavy, about 300 pounds, needed a cane to walk around, was killed in his own home in a dawn raid by the FBI on his home. Now, evidently, I don't condone what he had done. He had, you know, a lot of people get a little crazy when they get on social media, don't they? You say things on the internet that you would never ever say to a person's face. And evidently he had done these things. He was ultra conservative and didn't like our current government and made comments that it would be better if uh, our leaders were, were not there. So um, they executed an assault on his home. And I imagine it was early morning probably thought he was defending himself as these people were breaking in his house and, and he was shot and killed. I, again, I don't condone what he posted on the internet at all. But isn't it a, a, interesting that during our last administration, there were all kinds of people who would post horrible things daily on the internet, threatening his life, calling him all kinds of horrible things. We even had a comedian do a skit on national TV holding up his head in effigy. And yet I don't recall reading of any dawn raids on any of those people's homes. Now my point in all this is to say, not to judge someone's politics, but that our world is changing at breakneck speed. And we're seeing signs all around the world that Satan and those that are in his grip are becoming bolder by the day. We are living in the days that it spoke of in the Bible when good will be called evil and evil is called good. We need to wake up to the fact that we are in a desperate battle that is claiming the souls of millions upon millions of people. We're in the midst of a raging spiritual battle, and you know what? God's church needs to take up arms in this, in this uh, battle. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your electronic devices, either flip to uh, Ephesians um, chapter 5 or swipe over to Ephesians 5, and we're going to be reading 
begin reading in verse 15. And then also, so you know, we're going to also be jumping ahead to Ephesians 6, starting in 10. So for now, Ephesians 5.15, and I love the fact that Corey has us stand out of respect for God's word as we read it. So if you would please, if you're able, join me and stand as we read God's word. Ephesians 5.15. Pay attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Jumping now to Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to, to join us this morning, Lord. Fall mightily on this house, Lord God. Open our, our ears and our hearts, Lord, to what you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, we pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. We ask all these things for your glory's sake, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so we're not actually going to do a study on Ephesians 5, 15 to 21 this morning, but I had us read it for context. I want us to, to hear what what Paul said about this whole thing here that we're reading in five and six. So even though Paul wrote these words nearly 2000 years ago, you know, you might think they might be a little bit more applicable to our church today than they were to the church in Ephesus. Why do I say that? Well, we're a little bit closer to Jesus returning either way. So first, Paul cautions us in verses 15 and 16 to be wise and make the most of our time because the days are evil. What's that mean? What's it mean to be wise and make the most of your time? Well, for example, let's say a wise person needed a job to be employed. What would a wise person do? Would they show up in shorts and a t-shirt and say, hey, what's going on? Hire me? No. 
they would do their due diligence, wouldn't they? They'd take a look at the job, the requirements, the, the uh, qualifications necessary. They'd make sure they had the, all the training they needed before they go to apply for this job. Then they'd get dressed up nicely as they go in for the interview. Hopefully they researched about the company and what it does and they have some knowledge about it and maybe even who their interviewers are and their positions in the company. That's what a wise person does, don't they? They prepare as they go forth. Well, Paul, of course, wasn't speaking of obtaining a job in these verses. He was speaking about how a Christian should live their whole life. Being wise, in this case, pertains to both your own sanctification and also to, once you've been sanctified, to take that time out of your life and to go and share what you know with others, to lead others to Christ. Paul put it this way in Galatians 6 and 6.9. He said, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. So Paul is saying that the wise person will commit to living a life that seeks to do God's will, taking every time to share with others the forgiveness and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Ephesians, he added a bit of urgency to this instruction because he said we are to do these things because the days are evil. The days are evil. What does that mean? Well, it means that they are under the days, our current days are under God's judgment and that those who remain in sin are condemned. By saying that we're to make the most of the time, I think he's trying to add to that urgency. He's saying we don't know as human beings how long we're going to be here. We don't know the number of our days. So we shouldn't put off doing good. We shouldn't put off obeying his commands so that we can call as many people to Christ as possible. And he was also referring in the end of days to when Jesus returns in his glory and the church is raptured, and unfortunately, the people that are here will have to face judgment. So, whichever one motivates you, we should live our lives with a sense of urgency so we don't know when he's going to return. We don't know when we're going to go be with him. But I know this for a fact. These things are much more imminent than they were when Paul wrote these words. So, with this sense of urgency, we should consider this spiritual battle that's raging all around us. Now, more than any time in the history of mankind, well, anyway, since the flood, all right, we're seeing more and more people taken captive by the father of lies. Not only have they been deceived, these people, as Paul described them, are... are well, I'll just read his descriptions. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Wow. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. 
So these people, they're not new, okay? This is not a new plague on mankind. They've been around ever since the fall. But it seems like for the first time in our country, and in many countries around the world, a lot of these sorts of people are holding the highest offices of the land. They're leading corporations. They're reporting the news. They control so social media. Even scarier, a lot of them are educating our children. Brothers and sisters, this battle that's been going on in the spiritual realm for thousands of years is now becoming manifest in our physical lives here and now. And it's really time for us to join the battle, to wake up to the fact that if we do nothing, we'll soon have to take our church underground because of persecution. And I don't think that would be especially pleasing to our Lord and Savior. So here's the good news. We don't have to be intimidated by all this. Yeah, it's a fierce spiritual battle. But you know what? We don't have to join this fight on our own strength and power. As Paul said in 610, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. You see, God doesn't expect us to wander out in battle like sheep without a shepherd. We're to enter the battle strengthened, buttressed, reinforced by the Lord in his great strength. The way the ASV translates these verses, he says, in the strength of his might. The strength in this case comes from the Greek word dynamis, which is a connotation of God's prevailing triumphant power. It's an overwhelming power. So Paul continues, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The analogy he uses and is describing to us is probably in due part because at the time Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison, probably shackled to a Roman soldier. And he, so he saw what these soldiers would do in their daily routine, how they would prepare for battle. And again, I want to emphasize that Paul is emphasizing that we don't need to fear joining the battle because in what he's exhorting us, we are actually putting on God. So let me to put it to you this way. As I stand here, I realize that I'm not an especially imposing man. All right, I'm vertically challenged. Uh, I'm not especially buff, all right? And as I look out on the crowd, I, I would be pretty hesitant in getting in a brawl with any of you, all right? I'm just not a good fist fighter, all right? But in spite of these outward appearances, I'm a trained warrior, and there's a spirit of a warrior in my heart. Uh, in my past life, way, way, way back a long, long time ago, before many of you were born, <laughs> I flew F-18s in the Navy. And I can tell you, when I used to strap on that F-18, I had no fear of it, who I would encounter in the skies, all right? I, had, I knew my airplane, I knew my abilities, and when I was aggressive and, and wily in a dogfight. I was transformed when I strapped on my jet. Now, why am I telling you this? Is it to brag? No. But I'm telling you this because we, in the same way as we put on this armor of God, should be transformed the same way. Yeah, we might be meek and mild on our own, but armed with Jesus and his word and his armament, when we put on his full armor, we can be transformed. Paul goes on to say, 
that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. You know, up until last maybe 10, 15 years in our country, it was really easy to live in ignorance of this spiritual realm, wasn't it? I mean, things in America were pretty good. Most of our people had a Judeo-Christian worldview, so we operated and functioned pretty nicely, unlike places like India or places in Africa. But now recently, you know, Satan is becoming more and more evident, isn't he? The people that used to be kind of circumspect and timid and showing their crew colors are now these bold, arrogant boasters that we read about in Romans. We're seeing the manifestation of what's been going on in the spiritual realm in our lives now. We see it in the lives of our politicians, our actors, our sports celebrities, in the news media, and unfortunately, we see it in a lot of our neighbors now. And that should wake us up to the fact that this battle is very real. And Paul wants to make sure that we don't underestimate the power of the forces lined up against us. Back when I was flying fighters, I spent hours studying the capabilities of our enemy's aircraft. Okay? I studied their maneuverability. I studied their thrust-to-weight ratios. I studied their radars and its capabilities and what their air-to-air -air missiles were able to do. Most importantly, I studied the mindset of the pilots I would be coming up against. What kind of independent thought did they have? Were they allowed to have? What would their tactics be? And more importantly, what was their commitment to bringing the fight to us? And what I discovered was that our training, our equipment, all of those things were vastly superior to theirs. But, and this is an important but, you never underestimate your enemy. There's always someone that's out there that's able to overcome his lack of training, especially if they're determined. So I say all of that for you to tell you that we should be putting this same level of effort into understanding how Satan operates and how he deceives people and uses them to spread evil in our world. We need to realize he's a treacherous opponent that will take every opportunity to ensnare people into a life of false beliefs. Any, any of that going on now? False idols, climate change, and destructive sin transgenderism. All these things are happening. We need to understand his tactics so that we can see when they're being deployed against us and when they, so we can warn our neighbors and friends that are maybe a little innocent, but they don't know Jesus and they don't realize this deception that's going on to snare, ensnare them. We need to be able to stand for them so that they can be saved. And Paul says, for this reason, Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to res resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Because this spiritual battle is raging all around us, Paul tells us we must take up the full armor of God, armor that he wonderfully describes as the actual armor of a first century soldier. But you know what? More important than this armor itself, it's the person that puts it on, all right? What's it take to make a good soldier? Strength, sure. Courage, undoubtedly. A good character, yeah. 
All those things are important. But just as important, just as vital to all those characteristics is the discipline and the training a soldier has to undergo in order that he can be effective on the battlefield. I'm sure anyone here seen Top Gun Maverick? Yeah, pretty fun air, pretty fun movie, right? Good, a lot of good cinematography, a lot of cool dogfighting in there, and they very briefly depicted what it takes to do that. You saw them sitting in a hangar receiving a briefing. Now, I don't know where they get that from. I never once briefed in a hangar, okay? But, you know, I guess it looks cool because you got the airplane sitting there. But let me tell you what this is really like, okay? At least what it was like when dinosaurs like myself flew the F-18. All right. An average sortie, an air combat maneuvering sortie, lasts about 55 minutes. Takeoff, flying en route, doing your sortie, back en route to touchdown. Okay. So because we've got all this en route time, you can subtract about 30 minutes of your, of your valuable training right off the bat. Leaves about 25 minutes of actual training time. Out of that, you can subtract about another 12 to 15 minutes as we set up the scenarios we need to run the intercepts and the, and the tactics that we want to do to get, get into actual maneuvering and employing your radars and missiles and all that stuff. All right, so that leaves us about, meh, 10 to 13 minutes of actual combat flying as you're doing that, okay? Now, when we did that, a typical engagement lasts about three to four minutes. So we'd get about three engagements out of that, that whole entire time. So why am I telling you all that? Well, I'm telling you that because our pre-flight briefings, when we'd go out to fly these sorties, usually lasted a minimum of two hours. Two hours, think about that. Two hours of briefing for nine to 12 minutes of actual maneuvering in flight, all right? But wait, it gets better, okay? Because when you get back from that flight, you're gonna spend at least an hour and a half, sometimes two, sometimes three hours debriefing that mission. Okay, so you can learn from what, whatever mistakes you made or whatever things you did right, all right? So think about that. For each three to four minutes of dogfighting so that you saw depicted in that movie, there's at least 80 minutes spent in briefing and debriefing. Now that doesn't even include all the time you spend on your own studying your flight manuals, your tactical manuals, reading intelligent reports, studying about your adversary. Hours and hours of training and preparation go into those few minutes. What's my point? For most of my career, we were not at war. Okay? We entered into the first Gulf War about the time I was getting out of the Navy. Yet, we spent countless hours preparing for battle. Why'd we do that? Well, it was pretty clear. We had these threats, right? At that time, there was still communist Russia. There was obviously still communist China. There was North Korea, all these threats, the Middle East. We could see who our foe was. You could look at the, the news reports and see these are people that do not like us. So we better be prepared in case we have to go to war with them. Well, guess what? We are in a war right now. We're in the middle of this battle. 
It's a very real spiritual battle that's been going on ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. It's probably going to be coming to a culmination sometime soon. All right? So the days are short. The evil day that Paul calls us to prepare for is nearly upon us, and we need to be able to stand against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And that takes preparation on our part. It takes discipline. It takes putting our minds to knowing God's word so that just like when I strapped on that F-18, we will know how to use the armor and the weapons God gives us in this spiritual battle. We need to be disciplined in our study. Now, I want you to notice that in these verses, Paul also repeatedly calls us to take a stand. What's it mean to take a stand? It means we're called to defy, confront, and openly oppose, resist these cosmic powers of darkness with the tools God has given us. So Paul tells us we are to stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Truth, righteousness, and the gospel of peace. We're to put on this belt of truth. What's that mean? It means that we're to have a sincerity of mind and an integrity of character that's in keeping with the divine nature of God. We're to be godly people. The breastplate of righteousness Paul spoke of isn't speaking to our imputed righteousness in Christ, but it's speaking to our loyalty, our obedience and faithfulness to obey the commands of God in our daily living. So we're supposed to be Christ-like. Now, I love what, it, what the third thing. Paul says he associates the gospel of peace with footwear, sandals. Really? Why? When it doesn't seem like a very honorable place to put that, but think about it. How are we going to make a stand? You have to have a firm foothold. And that firm foothold, the firm foundation upon which we can re rely on to oppose the forces of evil, is the word of God, the gospel of peace. There's another subtle reminder in here, is when, as Paul says that too, is that even though Paul's been using military analogies for our preparation for the spiritual warfare, it's not our place to go into battle to slay people. Nope. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to help rescue them from eternal destruction. If Paul were writing this letter today, perhaps the soldier he would have used as an example is the combat medic. Yeah, the combat medic is trained in combat. He carries a rifle, but what's his biggest tool? It's his medical kit. What's his purpose in the, medical in the, in the battlefield? It's to see the fallen the injured, this, and to pull them and rescue them out of that battle. In the same way, our goal, which aligns us with the Heavenly Father's goal, should be that none should perish in this spiritual battle. So we need to arm, arm ourselves with the gospel of peace as we join this battle so that as many souls as possible are rescued from his clutches. 
Paul goes on to say, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I think Paul's telling us as we go into the battlefield that we have to keep our eyes fixed on our commander. And who is our commander? Our battlefield commander, excuse me, is Jesus Christ. We have to keep our eyes fixed on that person that we have the utmost faith and trust in. When we, when, I have, when we have our eyes fixed on him, when we're abiding in him, then you'll be holding up this shield of faith, faith, sorry, not face, this shield of faith that's able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Huh, it's another interesting analogy. What does that mean, the flaming arrows of the evil one? Well, in Paul's day, evidently soldiers used to dip their, their um, arrows both in something that would flame, but also in poison and shoot them off. So they'd be disabling the people. What's the analogy for us, though? Well, I think it's this. Unfortunately, I know that I'm not completely devoid of sin in my life. I'm not perfectly sanctified. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John would say, I'm a liar if I claim not to have any sin. So, hey, I freely confess. I still have unresolved sins in my life that I'm working out. But so what he's saying here is that because we still are not perfectly sanctified, because we are not yet with Jesus, we have these things that we battle against in our lives. And hopefully we're battling against all those sins. All right. And if you're a little bit like me, you feel bad that you still have these sins. You feel unworthy to do some of the things God calls you to do because you have these unrivaled sins. Like, I feel terribly unworthy to be up here. All right? Satan's going to use that. He can't read my mind, but he can see my actions, and he hears what I say to people, and he's going to use that to attack me, to discourage me. He's going to do everything he can to say, Gary, you're not worthy to be doing anything for Jesus Christ. You're just a big fat phony. And he does that to all of us. So we need, in order to protect ourselves from that, hold up the shield of faith. And when we have that shield of faith, all of Satan's flaming arrows fall to the ground into the dirt. They hit nothing. Paul goes on. Take up the helmet of salvation. This is a twofold thing. He's encouraging us to put on this full armor, but he's also talking and making an allusion to Isaiah 59 and the coming Messiah who's going to deliver his church. Isaiah 59, 17 says, he put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So he will repay according to their deed. So you can see this armor that Paul's showing us is the same armor that Jesus comes with as he comes to judge the world in that terrible day. It's also a reassurance to us as we put on this helmet of salvation that no matter what happens to us in the flesh, we have this promise, this assurance of salvation, and it's protecting us just like a helmet. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I love this because, again, we see God providing everything for us in this battle. Now, most of us think of a sword as an offensive weapon. But as I mentioned before, our real place in this battle isn't to go out and slay people. So then why do we have a sword? Well, 
I think Paul was making this allusion so that we have a sword as, an, as a defense against the attacks of Satan. It's the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Think about it. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, Satan tempted him. What did Jesus use as his weapon in return? Scripture. In the same way, as we enter into this spiritual battle, we need to be equipped with Scripture that the Lord will bring to mind to us in the appropriate time. That's his promise. But that doesn't mean we get to get off scot-free, that we're just going to be little robots that he fills up as we need to so we can spout the world. No, we need to be trained in the Word. We need to be studying it. We need to be trained in fellowship. We need to be good at loving others that are unlovable. We need to practice these things so that when we are in this battle, we're disciplined, we're trained. Just like those fighter pilots who spend hours studying manuals about tactics, we should be doing the same type of study in our Bibles. Excuse me. Paul goes on and he's starting to wrap this up and he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So I love this. Paul tells us, stand up, take your stand, get ready for battle, grab that sword, put on that helmet, and then what's he say? Pray. Pray. You know, I'm really ashamed to tell you that I don't always do that. Sometimes things start going sideways in my life, and I go, hey, I, I need to try, try to correct that. And I, on my own power of my strength, I'll try to do it. I'll call up a friend. Hey, what would you do? Wait a minute. And then things go even worse. Huh, wonder why. Maybe I should be on my knees praying as soon as these things happen so I have wisdom from above. You know, I kind of suspect I'm not alone and forgetting to go there first. I did a word search, and in the King James Version, the word pray, prayers, prayed, occurs 485 times. Why do you think God has that in there so often? Maybe we need to be reminded to do these things, because we're kind of forgetful, aren't we? Even in what we're reading here in Ephesians, Paul tells us three times in these closing verses to pray. You know, I, I really, it is our, in our human nature to try to do things on our own, isn't it? But the best thing we can do is to stop and pray to seek the will of our Father in heaven. One commentator put it this way, Nothing less is suggested than that the life and strife of the saints is to be the one great prayer to God that this prayer be offered in ever new forms, however good or bad the circumstances, and that this prayer not be self-centered, but express the need and hope of all the saints. Isn't that a wonderful way to think of it? We need to not just be praying for ourselves, but we need to be praying for everyone, for the will of God, as the prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that our Bible's just full of examples of people praying, pouring their hearts out to God for everything, for rescue, for redemption, mercy, justice, for wisdom. 
We need to be doing the same thing. The New Testament exhorts us over and over again to be in constant prayer. The idea, I try to get it through my thick skull, that no matter what the challenge is, the obstacle, the trial, whatever it is, or even the blessing, we go into God in prayer. But you know what? As usual, he doesn't leave us alone in this, does he? He, he, we're to pray, as Paul said, in the Spirit. Who's the Spirit? He's the helper. And he'll give us guidance and wisdom of how we're to pray in all these circumstances. And, when we, and then we can have the confidence and the assurance that when we pray in the Spirit, that God hears our prayers because our prayers are pleasing to him. So I love how God always works us out. I love his perfect plan for salvation and sanctification. You know, it's in our fallen nature to assume we have to do everything by our own strength and abilities. Isn't it amazing that every other false religion is basically a works religion? Huh, Satan knows how to appeal to us, doesn't he? But ours isn't. And so, so many people think that being Christian is a, hard, is a lot of hard work. And sometimes it is, but do you know why? Because I make it that way. Because you make it that way. We complicate things, don't we? It's not that hard. All God asks is that we humble ourselves before him, to ask forgiveness for our sins, to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, to abide in him and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. That's not so hard, is it? And when we do these things, then he sends his spirit to live with us to help us, to guide us, to empower us to do all things. We still have a part in all this, right? As I said before, we're not just these little robots. We have to make a conscious decision once we've been saved, once the Spirit comes to us, that we're going to listen to him, that we're going to follow him, that we're going to abide in him. We have to decide as he puts this armor next to us that we're going to put it on because it's easy to leave it in the closet, isn't it? Okay, we need to put it on. We have to choose to listen to his spirit. Think of it this way. We have to make a choice. Are we going to serve our God and Savior who saved us? People make these choices all the time. Men and women sign up to join the military. Men and women join the police force. They join the fire departments. And you know what? Every single one of those people give up some of their freedom so that they can serve their nations and their communities. We need to be willing to do the same thing to serve our God. We need to put aside some of the things we want to do and choose to freely follow him and serve him. And you know what? It's noble to be in the military, isn't it? To serve your nation. It's noble to be in law enforcement or a fireman. You serve a far greater kingdom when you choose to serve our Lord. A far greater kingdom. So here's the binny. Here's the beautiful part. When you choose to set aside what you want and choose to serve the creator of the universe and all that's within, then he'll give us everything we need to serve. He makes it easy. He'll give us the clothes for battle. He'll train us to be those combat medics so that we can join in in this spiritual battle, being his hands, pulling these people out of Satan's terrible grasp. That's his desire for us 
and it should be our desire to serve him. We don't want to be like Adam, who stood passively by as Satan attacked Eve. We don't want to do that. We want to take up the full armor of God and join this spiritual battle. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you, you are just so amazing. We just thank you that you, you give us a calling and then you give us every tool and everything we need, Lord, to, to answer your calling. All we have to do is be humble and obey you, Lord. So we pray, Lord God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us all, that you would help us to be transformed from hearers of the word to doers of the word, Lord God. Lord, the days are probably short. The time for your return is near. Help us, Lord, to have your passion and your love and your desire to serve those that are ensnared in Satan's grip, that we can grab them from this horrible, horrible darkness, Lord, and pull them to safety with your gospel of peace. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.